Episode 16, Scary Bear Soundtrack. Holy shit. Such energy in this episode. I loved it. We went all over the place with this. Yeah. Um, and it's it's such a journey for their music, and it's such a journey that we take just talking about it, because we go all the way up to Nunavut. Uh, we come back down to Ontario. We talk about recording solo. We talk about recording in the concept of a band. We talk about uh, what it's like recording with people who are all classically trained, which is not something you find in bands at all. But this are it's not something you're going to find on this podcast. Oh, absolutely not. Uh, not by any stretch of the imagination. It is. Uh, it, it was a f- ton of fun talking to them. Yeah. Uh, they touch on a broad range of subjects. A lot of things that you and I wouldn't be able to comment on otherwise. It's true. Absolutely. And um, they yep. did give us a great idea uh, for an episode, which would be Mothers and Bands for our next Mother's Day episode. Cute. It's going to be... I'm super in love with the idea. Talking to how how mothers juggle being in bands and motherhood, I think it's going to be... It's going to be a lot of fun to do. Obviously, we won't gather them all in one room. We'll... No, that'd be hell. Separately. Uh, yeah, it, it'll, it, it'll be good. It'll be good. But another thing that is good, and I hate doing this to you guys who are listening, is if you can, Adam and I really, really appreciate it. I know, Adam, you, you love it. With, um, I love you guys. If you can take 30 seconds out of your day and just rate, subscribe, like us on iTunes, if you even want Share to follow with us your on friends. Twitter, yeah, we're at Stone Stonehall Sesh or something like that on yeah. Twitter. We're still I ran out of letters on, on fucking on Facebook. Uh, it does us a world of good, and it takes you guys thirty seconds. I know, you know, you're a millennial. You're 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 eating pizza virtually. You you have a ramen noodles. Yeah, you yeah. got a you got a TV full of Kimmy Schmidt and a, and an iPhone full of. Other shit. Full of the Gilmore Girls. I know what it's like to be in 2016, but if you can just take either one of those things and rate us on iTunes, we would absolutely love it. And I gotta say, um, you guys have been doing a fantastic job of it already, and I think it kind of leads up into next week, which is kind of exciting. It's a big one, guys. It's It's a big one. We've been we've been doing pretty good for these past four months, but. We're, we're going up from here. Longtime Stoshers will know that there's a certain question that we ask at the end of every single episode. And um, let's just say next week's episode, we may or may not have someone who has directly worked with and had made seminal albums with two of the people we talk about at the end of each and every episode. So now would be a good time to get on to the Stoshers yeah. train. You don't know who we're talking about, you need to start listening to find out who we're talking about. If you don't know where to find the Stoshers train, it is because you have not liked us on Facebook and Twitter and, and iTunes. iTunes enough, and then we will give you the passcode. Yes. Our conductor is very strict. He's like the one from, what's that uh, thing, Crosby Christmas, White Christmas? Oh, yes. Uh, uh, where the conductor is actually Winnie the Pooh. Oh, yeah. Anyways. I'm sorry, if you don't have tickets, you're going to have to exit the train. It's, uh, it's fucking Bing Crosby. Fuck off. When you do. Anyways, episode 16. Speaking of scary bears. Holy goddamn shit. <laughs> episode 16. Scary bears. Soundtrack. 
so scary bears soundtrack uh thanks for joining us today uh we're gonna hear i can't do this you always start these <laughs> <laughs> you better keep that on there <laughs> Uh, so we're here and we're talking about your latest release, which is, can you give us the name one more time? Uvayak Road. Uvayak Road. Um, and which is nice. It's a, it's an interesting palette, I would say, of, uh, it's a give and take in a lot of these songs of electronic and analog instruments, sort of electric guitar. And uh, like once in a while, there'll be like a, a like a UK garage uh drum track that'll come in and it's just how what was sort of the how did you guys come up with the sort of the palette of sounds that you guys were gonna work with for this ep well i'd like to think i'd like to say that we had this grand artistic vision and that's it was it was a concept album following that vision but realistically it was actually us working with the sort of physical limitations that we had uh, recording up in Nunavut in my bedroom uh, with no access to a recording studio or anything like that. So a lot of the music uh, was, a lot of the instruments was electronic and written on the computer, uh, mainly because it's a lot easier to do that than, rather than recording live instruments. And that's the reason why a lot of the beats were electronic as well, uh, because we didn't have access to a drummer or a drum kit while we were up there. So it's also cheaper to not have to pay a drummer and just <laughs> write beats on on, on GarageBand. Fair so, enough, fair enough. so a lot of the stuff was, was from that. Um, and then some of the other songs, I know that like, it kind of the album does wander genres a little bit, especially the last two tracks. And it's pretty funny because I had been taking part in uh, February album writing month. I don't know if you've guys heard of it, but basically you try to write 14 songs in 28 days for the month of February. Uh, and wow. most of them are just kind of joke songs. But the last two songs, which are, I think, Blanket Burrito and Water Truck, was songs that I had written uh, during that like album writing like frenzy of a month. And uh, I was like, well, this, these songs are also about the North and I think they're kind of funny. So I threw them on kind of as jokes, but as it turns out, Blanket Burrito is probably our most popular song. Like People th- love that shit. <laughs> I love that yeah. song. It's my favorite song in the album. Yeah. That's what the radio stations will play, even though it's not a single. <laughs> Adam and I were talking about the EP earlier and we were like, uh, Adam said Blanket Burrito and I said uh, Water Truck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because Water Truck was like me noodling around in the guitar and then like I looped this one riff and then people like you should play that live and i was like i can't play that live like i can't play that long that riff as long but uh but yeah a lot of it was was dealing with the constraints at the time of of being an artist that was recording like ourselves without access to a professional studio um no that was i think one of the things that for me struck me uh when i listened to (laughs) water truck is it it forced me to listen through the whole album again because Water truck was it was such a change in style that I was like my ears perked up and then I was like, wait a second, these lyrics are like, you know when someone tells a, like a hypothetical story and it's way too real for it to be made up like that was sort of water truck for me. I was like, no, this has actually happened. Uh, could you go into the writing of that song at all? Sure, absolutely. So that was a common problem that I had when I was living in Cambridge Bay, Nunavut. Uh, a lot of the communities up north uh, don't have regular running water the way that we have here, uh, and so as was the case in our house, we had our water delivered to us by truck and the sewage would get carted away by a different truck. Thank goodness. It was a, it was a different truck. That's important. <laughs> Very cute. <laughs> Don't want to get that mixed up. Um, but the problem is sometimes like if there was a blizzard that was lasting a couple of days or if 
a water truck like you know broke down or if somebody didn't show up to work or something sometimes you would run out of water and you'd be stuck waiting for a while for to get like you know get more water again and usually like they were pretty good if you called them up and said you look look I need to get some water they usually would come but in the case of when I was writing that song I think we had I think we had come through probably like a four-day blizzard or something like that, like where we just didn't have any access to running water for a little while. And it was starting to get really disgusting. Like at first you're like, oh, this is great. This is an excuse not to do any laundry, not to do any dishes. But then when you're in a situation where you've gone multiple days of not showering or flushing the toilet, uh, and I think at the time uh, somebody in the house, I'm not going to say who, had the stomach flu, it was getting pretty disgusting. Oh. So, so that's when I, that was like the very unromantic inspiration of the song of how badly I needed to take a bath. <laughs> no, it makes sense when you say, do I have to go outside and melt some snow or something? Exactly. Like and actually, I, and I learned all sorts of science stuff because I went out and tried to melt some snow and I learned several things. Um, I Like, science apparently uh, it takes a lot of snow to melt it down to water that you can actually bathe in it took it took hours and also snow is really dirty it was disgusting it's actually it really yeah is. when it melted yeah. it there was like wolf fur and twigs which was weird because there's no trees in none of it uh it was it was, <laughs> yeah, it was disgusting and then i was like i don't want to bathe in this even though i mm. boiled it <laughs> It makes so much more sense now. It, it makes so much more sense. But it's true that you don't realize it, but like it's only when you go without having access to water for a while that you realize just how important it is. Like at first you're like, I, I got lots of beer. I'll be fine. But, you know, after a while you're like, no, I, I really need to take a shower. <laughs> this is it's like at the time I remember I was I was still posting updates on Facebook about how yep day four of the blizzard. Still no water. And my friends from like Ontario would be posting, oh, that, you're so lucky. It's always been a fantasy to be snowbound with my lover. And I'd be like, this oh is my not God. romantic. <laughs> this is like the, the, the like the most unromantic thing I've ever gone This goes through. on one more day. I will kill my lover. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't hear from us, we're in trouble. <laughs> well, because when, when people in Ontario are saying that, they're picturing like a Boney Vera song. And what exactly. the, the reality of it is like that Simpsons episode where it's, uh, Burns and Homer are in that lodge that gets submerged on the yeah, snow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the two of them just start hallucinating. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Thank God we had Netflix at least. <laughs> yeah. No water, but at least we have internet. <laughs> that was the funny part is I was able to go on Facebook. I just didn't, couldn't have any water. Huh. <laughs> that's kind of it's funny because so many uh of the people who come through here uh they're up and coming bands and they talk about sort of the limitations that inform this album and i don't think any of them have been so like literal as just we didn't have water and that's what informed this song it's true it, it, like i was i was mentioning to you guys beforehand uh but like uh you know we, we, we the way that we reproduced this album was uh i would record it myself and then i'd send it to uh a, a, a mixing engineer down in ontario and he would try to mix the tracks as best as he can and sometimes he would buy, write back and say you need to re-record this track or whatever and one of the times he's like you need a windsock because i'm just hearing all these pops and i was like okay and then i googled what a windsock was and i was like well we don't have that in Nunavut." <laughs> so i like we would have to do stuff uh, i mean i'm sure they do this all over Canada more probably because they didn't have the money to and in our case we just didn't have access to it we would just bend a coat hanger and stretch my nylon stockings over it and then I would force my musical partner at the time to sing into that and then she would look at me and be like you didn't wash this before we started recording and I said you, know, you probably still have one line sessions to read into it but we have <laughs> one episode has been filmed or recorded like that for Adam and he was not impressed either and it also was not washed yeah. It's probably still these lying are around. You should here. learn as a musician, <laughs> and now I know. You know, do your laundry before you do this stuff. 
<laughs> Which oh, ironically God. you couldn't do. Oh <laughs> yeah, my goodness. <laughs> goodness so like it's it's i think that boni vera romanticized version of what it's like recording things out in the woods is kind of out because like people assume like oh yeah you know i want to go out into the woods i want to record uh you know and still pick up starbucks on the way home and sort of uh like i'll have i'll have netflix in the evenings and things like that but like for you like when you say a four-day blizzard, like, are you going outside at all? Or are you... Uh, so during that particular one, uh, we didn't uh, because during a previous blizzard... Uh, this is this this podcast is just gonna be all about water stories. Uh, during a previous blizzard, uh, before we knew better, we were like, we just we really need to take a shower. We will go out into the blizzard. And at the time, my husband was working at a hotel, uh, and so they were like, well, if you can make it to the hotel, you can use one of the showers in the hotel rooms. And when we got into the car to drive to the to the hotel, which was literally down the street. Uh, I, I said to, I said to my partner, why didn't you clear off the snow off the windshield? He's like, I did. That's just how bad it was. There was zero wow. visibility. And I, it was a wonder we didn't die. Uh, we did get to shower, thank God. But then when we came back, we're like, that was crazy. There's the reason why the people don't go out in blizzards in the middle of a whiteout. Uh, and so since then, we we have not done that. But <laughs> but to, to support the, the Bonnie Vare thing, like... That's a lot of time you can spend in your house recording music because you can't do anything else. <laughs> There's a lot of lack of distractions when you get a situation like that. <laughs> All work and no play makes uh, Scary Bear very productive. Yeah. Thankfully. It's true. Um, That's why we pumped out two albums in two years because there was not a lot of other things to do. <laughs> uh, so going back to you were saying uh, about the uh, 14 songs in 28 days. Uh, water truck and uh, blanket burrito were both part of that. Mm-hmm. What made you decide to put those on this album? So for February album writing month last year, I decided that what I was going to do is write a bunch of songs. Uh, every single song was going to be a different music genre, just as a fun exercise as a musician. It's kind of fun to try different things. And every single song was going to be about something that started with B. So uh, water truck was actually originally bath as in like, I need a bath and blanket burrito is self-explanatory. Uh, and, the rest of the songs just really sucked. So that's why the other ones didn't make it onto the album because I tried to do a heavy metal screamo song about bulgogi, which is a Korean beef. And like it was hilarious, but there's no way I would ever show anyone that. It's just me screaming into a microphone trying to play that kind of guitar. Uh, yeah, so those two were the ones that I thought were the most sort of polished and... I thought they gave a really good perspective on what it's like to live in the North. I mean, the water truck one specifically, but also the blanket burrito one was just generally how I felt about not wanting to go outside because it was cold. But as it turns out, it's very relatable because a lot of people of like it. and chill. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> you really <laughs> rode that, yeah, on up. Exactly. Everyone's all about that, apparently. <laughs> but uh, while you're doing the... That's a really interesting challenge, uh, and especially the way that you augmented to do, you know, 14 styles in, in 28 days. Was there anything that you discovered about yourself, like maybe new limitations or new things that you wouldn't have normally tried that now you try to incorporate into your music? Well, I did learn that I it is possible to write a really shitty song. <laughs> I mean, I I mean I kind of knew that before, but when I went back to listen to those some of those 14 songs I was like, "Wow, I don't know what I was thinking. Why did I even post this on the internet?" Uh, but um I mean, it was really fun to play with other genres. I I still probably wouldn't put out a country album, but it was kind of neat to see that, you know, 
uh, I could try to write a country song. And then I started realizing that there are elements of different music genres that I really like. And actually, we tried to incorporate that in our music. Like, for example, Tiffany here is a really great vocalist. So we often in our music will use three-part harmony, which is not often seen in indie rock necessarily, but very common in country music, I think. Yeah, yeah, in country music. So we often incorporate sort of country-style three-part harmonies in our music, even though our, the rest of our music isn't country at all. A lot of these songs, you'll be saying sort of, a little platitudes that everybody, every song needs to have. Every every song needs to have something that's super relatable to. But then, like uh, with Water Truck, all of a sudden, like you take that just one step further, and you're just like, oh no, here's the reality of this sort of life. And then I'm like, oh shit, like there's just mold grown on the plates. Like it's yeah. <laughs> it's something that just makes it like uniquely of that of that time of that place of what was going on. And that's that's super cool. Um, can we get into more is is it all you recording so for Uvayak Road, that was mostly me. Uh, and Christine was my bandmate while we were up north. And so she put on some of her um, her backing vocals on that one. So for that album, yeah, it was just mostly me. Uh, we want to put out another album now that I'm back in Ottawa again and have access to a real drummer, a great drummer. So that's probably going to be our plan next year. And for that one, it won't be me playing everything. It'll be like Tiffany putting putting in her stuff and Danik and, and having our drummer Kevin as well. Um, I, like... I played the sort of genre of music that I did in terms of synth pop because that was the easiest thing to do when you don't have access to live instruments. I mean, I had a guitar and keyboards and stuff, but but now that we have access to live drums, I can do a lot more things, right? Like, I really like the shoegaze genre a lot. And our band is moving a lot more into that now, now that we've got more members in the band and live drums. So I'm hoping that that's the sort of direction we'll be going into, uh, like, just playing around with live instrumentation. Has it been hard or interesting uh, adjusting the songs from the EP into a live setting? Like, is that that take a, a oh spell it, to yeah get into? water uh, uh, water like, truck aside? Which you can't yeah, play. so I can't play water truck. I admit, I admit that. I, like, that will happen one day. But it it's um it's 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 been different because now I like don't have to play everything. And now I've got Tiffany here and I've got Danik and Kevin. Uh, but let's be fair. If you've ever seen what my songs look like, they often have like like five synth like synth tracks like five or six guitar tracks and that's just not realistic to do live until I make a lot more money and can become broken social scene <laughs> <laughs> so we there's always an, a big adjustment uh, in terms of trying to play our songs live and that's why some of our songs we haven't like on Uveak Road we haven't played live yet we haven't done the title track of Uveak Road live yet because I have still been trying to figure out how to do all of those instruments Although we probably will play it for Blues Fest. That's the plan. Oh, yeah? Yeah. But I find like even just like list, I had listened to the songs prior to like joining the band. And then when we started playing it live, it was completely different for me. I was like, oh, God, this sounds so different or like it's completely yeah. different. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's awesome, though. But still in a satisfying way for you guys creatively? Yeah, yeah. I think so. It's fun to play with people. Mm. <laughs> so be by myself all the time. <laughs> That's super cool. Um, when you guys, when you were recording this, um, on the album, there's he, he, on some of the songs, it just sounds like so. Everything seems very glued together and sort of uh, rushed in a point of view. Like were any of these recorded in not not rushed in that like it, they sound underproduced, just rushed in the. It, it seems like there's like a galloping pace to it. Like it, 
was there anything going on that made you really get into sort of like really, really sort of propulsive beats? Uh, well, I really liked... Uh, I, I really like dance music and a lot of dance beats. Um, it, it, that actually shows a lot more in the the previous album that we put out called The Longest Night, which was a collaboration with an Ontario musician, uh, Avid Napper, because um, basically when I moved up north, there was a lot of challenges that we experienced, uh, particularly when it came to wintertime when uh, it was minus 50 degrees uh, or 60 and the sun wouldn't rise for six weeks and it would be dark and like even Sounds even if amazing. you yeah like like everyone <laughs> is going to have some sort of mental health sort of issue at some point because you're like because the reality is uh, if especially if you're not used to it you're just really tired you don't have have the energy to do anything and you can get depressed really easily so my way of dealing with it was to listen to a lot of dance music and actually what my friends would do is we would have like invite each other to uh, to each other's houses and have dance parties, like which is important because we didn't have clubs there. <laughs> uh, and that was like I, I was literally forcing myself to to move for one thing, because uh, exercise is a really good way to to sort of feel good. Uh, and also, I wanted to write music that would help me do that. So that's why a lot of my music um, has, uh, like, since I moved up north, took a. A, a big electronic turn but also like a very dancey kind of turn because uh, I, I really wanted something that I could work out to and also sort of made me feel upbeat uh, to sort of combat the difficulties of living up north sometimes that's really cool and it, yeah it makes a lot of sense was there any sort of uh, because you sort of start off the album in like a shoegaze or indie rock mm-hmm. sort of way was there any what was it like first trying to merge those two things together? What did it take a while? Did it? Uh... Yeah, it's not easy. Like, um, it's not easy to do well. Like, I'm sure bands have in the past uh, merged shoegaze and synth pop, but my influences have generally been one or the other. Like, I really like a lot of shoegaze bands, and I also like a lot of synth pop bands. So I ha- I hadn't personally seen a lot of it com- being combined together. It is also difficult to perform live because so, so before Tiffany joined, it was just a three piece. Uh, it was impossible to do shoegaze and synth pop because you would like I was playing two keyboards at the same time and I tried to play guitar at the same time too and that didn't really work. That's but like crazy. you need a guitar player to play <laughs> shoegaze. Yeah. yeah, it just wasn't working. It didn't work <laughs> like, out as well. Yeah. That's why I was like, Tiffany, you need to join the band. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's not the easiest thing, but I mean, uh, like I've seen bands do more trickier things. So, <laughs> but yeah, especially for live performances, that's when it became clear that I needed more people in the band. <laughs> Uh, how long did how long did the entire writing of it take and it, was it all up north yeah so yeah basically the whole thing was written up north over uh, basically over a two year span like some of the songs i had more time to develop and then some of them like the last two february album writing month ones were kind of just thrown on as an afterthought but people still like it so that's great <laughs> the 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 new album that we want to put out next year uh involves some uh like i said i want to take a more of a shoegaze theme uh, but also I'm kind of interested in sort of exploring some of the complicated feelings that I have about my Asian Canadian identity. So the new album will actually have a bunch of a couple of old songs on it because I've I've ha- I've had some songs that hasn't made it to any albums yet. Uh, one is called Pyongyang, which is just about how some of my gran- grandparents are from the north. Uh, sorry, North Korea, not Nunavut. Uh, and um, and and that's a song, for example, Pyongyang, I've always wanted to have on an album, but we haven't, uh, it didn't fit with any of the previous albums. So that's what we're probably going to aim to do for the next one. That's interesting. Is it tough for you to, I know you said that you did 14 songs in 14 styles over 28 days. Is it tough for you to sort of, I've, I find this, for myself when I'm like just trying to produce uh, music 
uh, on my own is like, it's tough to sort of sit down and decide, okay, this song is going to definitively be in this style. Is that something, are you constantly restless like that? Is it? Yeah, because the thing is, it's it's easy to write a mediocre song, in my opinion. Uh, it's, it's, it's not hard to write a pop, like, um, necessarily. <laughs> uh, but they don't necessarily all flow together, and I don't necessarily want them all to make it on an album. So, and the reality is, like, what February Album Writing Month showed me is I do actually write a lot of songs in different genres, but... I don't really like the idea of having a whole bunch of genres like within one band or one album. So a lot of times I'm actually calling it according to theme, you know. So it, that that's difficult. I like if I could probably start a whole side project of country music, <laughs> but but yeah, it's 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 a bit tricky. Oh yeah, I guess, yeah, yeah. No, no, we'll take yeah, that yeah. Yeah. as a name. Yeah. <laughs> I know Janik would be really into that. My bassist is really into to country music. So we we used to do one or two sort of country themed songs and she loved that but then I was like okay we need to have a more of a focus on genre so we haven't been doing uh sort of cross genre stuff as much lately but uh that's so interesting though because it, it I, I find some of the most well-rounded musicians are the ones who are able to take different parts of different things like they can see not just what the product is but why someone does something like that on a country song and how can I apply that to sort of you know a Portishead cover or something like yeah. that like it, being able to mix that I think is a skill that a lot of people who just sort of are like oh I'm gonna cover this Nickelback song to win the $10,000 hot 89.9 grand prize of the local band thing uh, you're not speaking to any particular <laughs> band I'm sure <laughs> No, but it's true. And I like, I mean, it's just my opinion, but I, I never understand how somebody could listen to just one genre of music. If you're a serious music fan or a musician, right? I Absolutely. like the bands that I find the most interesting are the ones that do new things or combine elements of stuff that I wouldn't have thought of before. And I think that's what makes a band interesting. You know, like I think one of the most influential vocal bands or albums for me is actually Trio, which is a country album by... Uh, Emmy Lou Harris, Linda Ronstadt, and Dolly Parton. And it's the most angelic album ever. It's just the most beautiful three-part harmony. And I'm not going to say that I play music like that, but the three-part harmony is something that is strongly influences us. Um, everyone in the band, uh, I think Kevin as well, is classically trained. So, oh, yeah. so that makes, I think, so as a band, I think we operate differently than a lot of other bands there. I think a lot of bands kind of just jam, but we all have, uh, like, like Tiffany was coming with sheet music written out, you know. Uh, actually, and, I found it hard to improvise. Yeah, like, yeah, actually, yeah. None of us like, improvise. Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, wow. exactly. Like, I don't understand. That's impressive. No, but it's, it's it, well, it's good and bad, but like when she was like, okay, Blanket Burrito. Oh no, what was it? Was it Blanket yeah, Burrito? Yeah, Blanket Burrito. Like, I was like, solo. Solo. I was like, what? I was like what do you mean? Like, why isn't this written out for me? So it was like, it's good to be classically trained, but at the same time, it's like, I wish I had been a bit more well-rounded in the sense of like being able to like do my own thing and be creative, but we weren't taught like that. So no. yeah. We, yeah. we both went through the Royal Conservatory of Music. I think you went to, yeah. did you go all the way? To... Uh, grade 10. Oh yeah, I didn't go that far. I went to yeah. grade 8. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like, so we learned how to like play well and we learned technique and that sort of stuff. But you don't learn how to improvise or write music, really. So that was or all. be creative, which is very unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I think it's. A, I still think it's a good basis. But like, if I was going to have a kid, I probably would put them in the piano lessons. But I'd also get them to learn how to teach themselves how to play guitar and do all the the other stuff too. Because I think, like, 
some people say like you know if you're a classically trained musician then you're 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 handicapped and you can't do rock music and I don't agree with that necessarily um, but because uh, there's a lot of benefits too right like sometimes I'll listen to a song and it's like oh my god I just saw the chord progression in my head and yeah, that's yeah. a mind yeah, fuck yeah, you know exactly. so like I think that having a classically trained background is useful as well but I think it's not the end all especially yeah, for exactly. this kind of music yeah yeah <laughs> No, you do see music differently. Like, mm-hmm. and I think you guys were probably when I first joined. She would, she didn't have any music written, but would sing it to me. <laughs> I'd be like, "Oh, like this," and play it, and you were like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> yeah, exactly. nailed it. <laughs> exactly, and that's why harmonies work really well too, because you yeah. are used to figuring out, like, because you took harmony. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Welcome conservatory. <laughs> you know exactly what is good harmony. Same thing with Denek too. She's she used to sing in, in choirs around Ottawa. And so she like can hit a harmony really well. I don't tell them what to do for harmony. They they know exactly what to do. That's cool because uh, I think you do need that balance. Like a conservatory will show you the how, mm. but you also need the why. Which as exactly. much as I hate jam bands, um, mm. they can sometimes show you why it's good yeah. to sort of play in the pocket of things, or why exactly. sort of uh, you don't need to play. Uh, the entire song on piano or on guitar or something yeah. like that. You sort of need to know what your place is and exactly. how that aids the how sort of the the whole construction of the song. And it helps with the spontaneity of the song too, right? Because let's be realistic. Like, if I'm there as a front woman and I make a mistake and I skip the chorus, the band has to be able to be spontaneous and skip that chorus. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, but if they're following sheet music and they aren't flexible like that, then that's just not going to work. So. So that's what I do appreciate about the band is they're very flexible that way. <laughs> they're flexible to my mistakes. <laughs> that was one of the funny things I didn't realize for years and years. Uh, growing up, I, I played the flute because I love Jethro Tull so much. Oh, nice. Um, awesome. and, like the nerdiest, the nerdiest uh, <laughs> pursuit. Any, uh, not the nerdiest, flute just rock. like the most virginity pursuing uh, <laughs> pursuit one man can undertake. Um, but yeah. it was... Uh, <laughs> It was years later I saw that this was a rock band that Ian Anderson, the the main guy from Jethro Tull, because it's not just one people, oh, one person people. Um, he would actually write out guitar solos in in like uh like he'd flute, write out the format. entire like, songs, yeah, wow. in full scores. Okay, um, and it's just like that is the least rock and roll thing <laughs> I've ever heard. Like just, <laughs> it's but funny I love though, it because for like I I usually don't write my music out sometimes I'll write down chords and lyrics and stuff like that but um, recently I've started getting into as a sort of solo project writing a lot more dance music and sometimes I'm trying to I'm like okay I need to remember this riff that I wrote so I'll write you know C A B this is dumb I'm just gonna write the actual sheet music so like I've I've started actually writing sheet like sheet music for some of my dance pieces because it's just like because I am classically trained I can read sheet music and sometimes it's easier to just like write the precise notes uh, with the 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 proper timing as opposed to some vague like kind of sounds like that Radiohead song you like you know what I'm talking about Gloria (laughs) (laughs) I'd love to see like drums written out for dance music where it's just like quarter note kicks and then yeah. half note snares and just I've seen, you kind of know what's going on I've seen drum sheet music and I don't understand it it's its own thing yeah. I, Kevin doesn't use sheet music I, I not that I know of <laughs> and so can you take us through just the process of taking a song from a beginning in none of it and waiting for water and kind of hating everybody around you and wishing there was water, but <laughs> wishing people weren't thinking that your situation was so romantic <laughs> to the, to the, like to its final place on the EP. And mm-hmm. then 
let's expand upon that a little further because mm-hmm. if there's one thing people love, it's two part questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does that? How does that then blossom live? Okay, well, I mean that's a tough one because that's the one song we don't do live. Well, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, like I mean, so most of the time when I'm writing music, it's in- interesting because people say, you know, like like it's it's interesting to hear what other people's thought processes are when writing songs because some people will say I write lyrics first, some people say I write music first. That's the purpose of this podcast. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I'm kind of weird. I do it completely separate. Like like some like I'll have a melody in my head, and so I'll sort of record that melody in my head, and then another time I'll be like oh this would make great lyrics and i'll write down those lyrics and then if the timing works out it'll be like oh these two work together and then i'll alter the music a little bit or the lyrics a little bit to fit into that uh and and always like because i don't normally write with sheet music i always like record it so um most of scary bear soundtrack songs actually start with a recording first and then we learn how to play it live after uh which includes yeah, yeah. me having to learn how to play the parts that I wrote for myself a long time ago. <laughs> Are you singing it to me? I'm like, what the fuck? Tiffany, you yeah. can do this. <laughs> it goes, you know, it's like da 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 da. Literally like when I joined she was like, just do this. I'm like, okay. She's so patient with me. She deserves a medal. But yeah, actually, the, the part where the band plays it is probably one of the last steps because, well, at least for the last couple albums, because I've been mostly recording it myself. So I'll record it myself and then maybe I'll show it to a couple friends who will be like, that sucks, Gloria, redo it. And then I'll, you know, keep doing that. And then I'll end up releasing the album. And then I'm like, oh, shoot. So we got to learn to play these songs live. So playing <laughs> it with a band is actually the last part. But Is but it like, the hardest step? Um, you know what? Because my band is is really talented. It's 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 not that hard uh, in that sense. Like I mean, I, I I like I have to show them this is what the song is. But let's not actually do this chorus ten times. Uh, you know that that sort of stuff. But like I mean, Kevin's a super sharp drummer, so he'll just hear it. And then I will say to him, Kevin, I wrote this as a non-drummer, so please come up with a better drum beat. And he'll <laughs> he'll do that. And then Danik is an amazing bassist, so she just you know will just uh, she she can if she hears it in her head, she immediately knows how to play it. So there's that. And then Tiffany, you know, all, with her classical training background as well, like she she can also just play it. Apparently, when I just sing it to her, she'll just figure it out. So yeah. it works well. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, I'm not certain that that's how it's going to be all the time is just that's how it was for the last couple of years but now that i've got a regular band that i can jam with it could it actually is we've got a couple of songs that haven't been recorded yet that we've just like you know played together so i think the whole process for that is going to change yeah you think those new songs will be on the well coming up on the new album the ones you just recorded or Um, working on or we, yeah, we're working on a couple. We, we, we do perform a couple of songs that are not on any albums, and I think we'll make it to the new one. We've got a couple of ones that are very guitar heavy, uh, and, and and I'm sure you can tell the last album was not guitar heavy at all. So I think that will make it to the new album, even though they're they're old. They're a couple of years old, but they they uh, like robbery. Eh? Like yeah, I don't have a good okay, recording. That's that, right, you yeah. don't. Yeah, and I I, I sent Tiffany Pyongyang because we're gonna learn how to play that as a band. Right, uh, cool. But I was like, I don't have a recording of this, but somebody took a recording. Uh, on their phone and it's on mm-hmm. YouTube. So watch this YouTube video. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, good old <laughs> iPhone recordings. Yeah. Uh, what is it like when four classically trained people come together to like jam out songs? Because like I, that just seems like the most 
<laughs> clinical thing in the world. So, like, I'll be. It reminds on, me yeah. of like a stars practice. <laughs> Maybe, yeah, there isn't a lot of spontaneity necessarily. No, 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 no. I mean, sometimes they'll be like, "Gloria, that that part really sucks. Let's skip that part." So that's about as spontaneous as it gets. <laughs> but I mean, to be fair, my interest in music is as a songwriter. I'm as a composer. I really like to uh, come up with ideas and arrange them in different ways and hear these melodies in there. So. Uh, I think the jam band thing is cool, but it's not necessarily who we are, you know. I mean, I, I, but I mean, everyone does develop their own stuff. Like, you know, Danik will be like, okay, you recorded the bass this way on the album, but I like it better like this. And she'll come up with a much more complicated riff. Same thing with Kevin, too. He'll write his own stuff. But there isn't, yeah, we don't really jam and there's not a lot of spontaneity. <laughs> yeah, I find spontaneity really hard just coming from the classical background where it wasn't encouraged, actually. Just like follow the fucking metronome yeah. and <laughs> play what Mozart wrote. Like, Can you fuck. imagine improvising at the Kiwanis Music Festival? Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> I, I, I decided I don't like this Bach piece and I just yeah. take it on my own route. <laughs> so, it's, no, for me, it's been really nice just being in the band for the past couple of months just to be able to do that. It's like, oh, fuck, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. At this point in time, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, so. and if she makes a mistake, not that I say not that she does, she just covers it up really well. So no that, one you know, knows. It's part of the song, right? That's the beauty. <laughs> I'm of, meant to do that. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Music. People would know if you did that to Bach. <laughs> yeah, they would. Yeah. Yeah, that was one of the things. Uh, one of my music teachers taught me was just like if you make a mistake play it twice then people think it's another song <laughs> it's really, and it works so well yeah, yeah, so yeah. now i know that's a great tip yeah, it's like oh he's going avant-garde with it by playing outside the key it's a 12-tone row <laughs> i mean to be fair like i do like as a so like as a musician i'll i'll jam with other musicians and there's some genres that are much easier for that right like blues is is so much fun it's so much fun to jam too because you really like it, 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 there's a set number of notes that you can play and you just can't go wrong within that i just find that for i i just have a hard time figuring out how to to jam with synth pop and and shoegaze kind of stuff i mean i know that's how those musicians are writing that those songs but that's just not how we necessarily do it so how is it this is going to be the first time where we've expanded past the ep but like what's it like sort of you guys working on new material now is it a is it fun to do? Do you guys need to sit down and write it all out? Is it like what's what's the what's the process like with four people instead of you one? You know, I'll be honest. It's 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 always a little bit painful when you're learning a song, like a, a new song, because you're like, oh, is this gonna work or not? It's only after you've done it a couple of times and it's sounding great, then that that's when it really starts to feel good. But it's a necessary part of it, right? Like practice isn't always necessarily fun. Um, unfortunately, as an adult, you know, not everything is is fun. <laughs> but um, I forgot the question. This happens a lot. <laughs> Do you remember the question? Oh, uh, so just what what is it like writing as a four piece all of a sudden as opposed to just uh, um, solo up and none of it uh, without water? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, we still, I think the bands, we, we still need a lot of set structure beforehand because I remember... What were we trying to do? We were trying to do a cover of There is a Light That Will Never Go Out. And that was one where I just came in and be like, let's do a cover of the song, but it'll be different from the original. And then everyone was like, I don't know what to play then, because how do we make it original? So I think we still need some some sort of structure beforehand uh, to, to do that. I don't know. Do you have any comments on that? Well, we've talked about having like a weekend up in a cottage. And oh, yeah, we need to do that. <laughs> doing some. Yeah, just like just jamming, out. jamming and stuff like that. Yeah. So we need to do that because just coming in new it's like actually you don't like just figuring out where you can provide value or like new stuff or like your thoughts so it's like we still need to figure that out because I'm still figuring out my place in the band and stuff mm -hmm. like that so it's like 
we need some bonding time. That's <laughs> true. That's the other thing too. Is like we we weren't all necessarily friends with each other before the band started. I think I just like picked people that I like to join the band. Mm. Necessarily, yeah. You're good. You're friends. good. Uh, Kevin, yeah, yeah. Kevin's my, married to my sister, you know, so mm. I snagged him. <laughs> and actually, Danik was uh, the girlfriend of a friend of mine, so that's how I got her. And then I met D- Tiffany at Rock Camp for Girls. So we're actually still in the process of all becoming friends with each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I-, I do like yeah. my brother-in-law. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's great. It's got to be weird. So I'm just coming off of a week of producing a band and they love because sort of it's their Friday, Wednesday, Tuesday night thing where they'll just get drunk and they'll get stoned and then Mm -hmm. they'll just play these songs and they'll practice it over and over again. Mm -hmm. And those guys love their choruses. So they'll just (laughs) like eventually they'll get to the end of the song and they'll just be like, let's do these four bars for 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I'm in the center of it and I'm losing my mind because I'm just like none of you are doing anything new none of you are doing anything interesting you're just playing the same thing over again because it feels good to like look like uh, fucking Pete Townsend Pete Townsend yeah. thank you from the who yeah exactly uh, what we were talking about Dirty Projectors was the band yeah. I was trying to uh, oh yeah yeah, okay. yeah they did some cool vocal stuff actually oh, yeah they did some really cool vocal stuff I was reading a whole thing years ago about how they use uh, so there's major and minor uh, they use uh, the neutral, yeah, uh, the neutral chords in yeah. between it, which was like big in Gregorian chants. Yeah, and so yeah, they, yeah. Would, they would use those. And when you listen to their uh, harmonies, it yeah, in a lot of their songs, it all sounds like super off-putting for some reason. It's not because yes. it's in a minor key; it's because it's in a key that is just in, it's a it's a microtone essentially. And this is why I'm saying it's kind of cool to have a classical music background because you're like, oh my god, I they're doing this. Nobody, <laughs> everyone can understand that it's it's weird, but like I can understand what's like. The, Owen Pallet put out a series of essays, or at least two essays, where he basically analyzed why Katy, Perry Katy Perry's and... uh, which song was it, the Teenage Dream, like yeah. why it sounds so like. Like, interesting the way it does and also daft punks get lucky yeah. he like he analyzes the chord progression for one of them i think it's the daft uh the daft punk one he points out that it never goes to the tonic chord it never goes to the, the 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 note that the key is in and it leaves you feeling restless you know and he was saying something about katie perry's the way that the the chord uh, progression is written it has a certain effect and i love that like I'm, I'm i'm a nerd i'm gonna totally admit i'm a super nerd so so when i read his interpretation of it i was like i understand what he's talking about mostly so that's pretty cool and it's kind of neat to see them doing like people playing with it that way but i've also seen people who have no classical backgrounds do some really interesting things musically as well like totally jumping out of a key playing some weird chords that don't belong to it and it really works too so it doesn't always have to be a conscious effort necessarily yeah but <laughs> it, 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 um i remember when I was in high school, Owen Powell released this song and it was in, or no, it might've been first year university. Anyways, uh, people at home, I'm very old and decrepit and I'm close to death. Uh, but, uh, so I can appreciate a lot of Owen Powell. Um, and uh, he released a song that was in two different, um, time signatures, key signatures. Key oh, key signatures. signatures. Oh, yeah. that's interesting. And that would only interact with each other a little bit in the chorus. Interesting. And I listened to it. And the first time I was just like, I fucking get this. Mm-hmm. But everyone else that I knew mm-hmm. uh, was just like, this is a stupid goddamn <laughs> song. Why is he putting yeah. out something like this? And it's just like, you can't understand the genius that yeah. he's 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 trolling you and you don't even get why. Exactly. Or like I used to really like Tool when I was in high school because they used to just play in really weird time signatures. Yeah. Same with Dave Brubeck would play in really t- weird time signatures. You don't have to have a classical background to appreciate it. But it is kind of cool. Where you're like, oh, my God, this song is in like. 
13, like 16 times. I don't actually remember what, what time signatures tool would play, but you're like, oh my God, you know. The other day I was looking up uh, the Terminator soundtrack, the original okay. one. Yeah. Is technically someone scored it out. It's technically written in like 122 over eight time what? signature, it? and it's all what? because it was done before MIDI. <laughs> okay, yeah. And so the cable between that he was linking his synthesizer oh. to what he was recording to was faulty, and so it would lose a beat every like six yeah. beats or something like that. Oh, that's so oh, interesting. And so it's written in like this huh. weird. Weird galloping style, yeah. which at the end of the piece, like trying to score it out, it's like 122 over eight. It's the <laughs> weirdest so fucking weird. thing. Yeah. I actually, during rock camp for girls, I was a keyboard teacher there. And the other keyboard teacher, Laura, is this just brilliant keyboard player. And she like took the time, because she's also classically trained, to write out the sheet music for all of the songs that we were getting the campers to play. And one of the ones that she did was actually Joan Jett's I Love Rock and Roll, which I didn't realize until Laura wrote out the sheet music actually changes key signatures. Uh, sorry, sorry, it changes time signatures in the middle of the song several times. Like it goes from 4-4 four, four to all of a sudden they just stuck in two beats, like a 2-4. Then back to four four False again, cadence. yeah. And so we're like, uh, I, I I don't think that Joan Jett or whoever was doing the guitar part for that was necessarily trying to be deep. I think they probably just got excited and skipped two beats or whatever. But I was like, that's really interesting because you don't realize that until you actually try to write out those chords and those notes. That's one of the things <laughs> that they say uh, attracts unconsciously people to yeah. Hey Ya by Outkast. Oh, right. is it is it's either like three or four mm -hmm. bars of four four, and then it's one bar of two four, <laughs> and so you're like. Like, wait. Yeah. And then you get back into it. Like, it just yeah. sort of propels you forward just a little bit. And, um, I do that a lot accidentally. I've, I've, like, well, like, I've, uh, I'll sometimes skip a couple of beats in a bar for some songs. And then the whole band is just great. So they just go along with it. But then I was like, oh, wait. Yeah. No, this song is, is, is too short. That, that, that should be an extra couple of beats in there or whatever. You guys aren't playing these at Kiwanis festivals anymore. No. no. Thank God. It was a traumatizing yeah. experience. <laughs> yeah. That was it was so traumatizing. <laughs> it was awful. So no, no, it's it is it has its place in case I the, I, I incur the wrath of Kiwanis. No, but, it's terrible. <laughs> well, it's definitely not rock and roll because it, the way it is, it's uh, it's divided by age category. Um, and then everyone plays the same song. So whoever plays that one song the best. And uh David yeah. Do you remember David Mankey? Like, I, I don't. No, okay, I don't, and then yeah, yeah. no, no. You would play the same song, and it would be so formal. You had get up, yeah. bow, <laughs> sit down, play the same song. Wait, everyone played the same song, and then there would be like three judges or something that would like give you a score. I'm like, like, I don't know. I don't, yeah. yeah, it was oh. the foremost expert on hot cross buns in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's all, the problem is it was the same age group. So like mm. I could be at a grade two level that's and true. there'd be some genius that's at the grade mm. nine level yeah. who's obviously going to do better because he practices eight hours a day mm -hmm. and I go out at night. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, no the, the classical training was good for learning technique and stuff like that, but I, did not enjoy Kiwanis. No, like the, the culture. <laughs> like I, I think it could be supplemented with like a bit more creativity or like. I would have liked a songwriting competition. That yeah, would have really that cool. would have been cool. Yeah. Or some sort of improvisational thing. Like I mean, I'll be honest. I So my parents put me into piano, classical piano when I was five years old. So I've been playing piano since I was five. And like I love my parents and I really am thankful that they did that but it was a lot of fighting like yeah. a lot of fighting about about practicing and then by the time I was about 16 I was like fuck piano yeah. I'm just not gonna do classical piano anymore I quit uh and then play, played guitar for many years and then um 
as an adult, got back into playing keyboards, but like not classical piano, like sort of synthy stuff. And so it's really funny because my parents will sometimes come to my shows and then they're just like, so that's where all that money from piano lessons went, eh? <laughs> That two-note keyboard solo you're playing, Gloria. All right. Yeah. <laughs> At least it makes you happy. We're still proud of you. Yeah. Exactly. Hmm. That's, um, um, it, Sorry, my, that's my birth control alarm. I'm turning off. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a first. That's a first for the I show. I thought that was a yeah. church bell <laughs> going on. <laughs> She's on top Very of things. Very important. I might have Zika. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Don't, don't it's put that on. point. Do you guys, do you find it tough? Um... Like there's got to be there's always got to be that like want that need that Joe Satriani sort of uh, I know I can play all these notes and I can play them better than anyone else in the world. Why aren't I soloing over all this all the time? So so for me, I'll say and like you can go after it, Tiffany. But for me, um, I know that as soon as I go on stage, uh, my uh, like playing abilities goes to about half because stage fright and all sorts of like, you stage know, beers. anxiety, yeah, all this sort of <laughs> stuff will, will tie it down. So like when nobody's li listening, I can play some crazy jazz pieces or whatever, but I know that when I'm playing uh, songs that I'm going to perform live, I'm not going to make it at my, like, I'm not going to be pushing my limits there necessarily. And maybe that just speaks to me as a performance artist. Uh, maybe I'm just not that good. But uh, I know that I can't play as well as when nobody's listening. Uh, and to be fair, I actually don't have a desire to show off my, you know, sick soloing talents necessarily. Because for me, the the fun part of music for me is actually the songwriting and composition part. Um, and, and so just being able to play the song, perform it, that's the fun part for me. So I don't necessarily... I don't know. Maybe this. Yeah, it, I don't know. It, it's not necessarily a big thing for me. I know that that's what motivates a lot of musicians. How about you, Tiffany? That's a really good question, actually. <laughs> and it speaks a lot to like ego in music and well, yeah. life. Right. Um, like, for example, like, like I know I'm I can sing, uh, but that's not my role in this band. Mm. I'm a keyboardist in this band and I can provide backup vocals. So it's like. It's like knowing where your role and responsibility is in a band. And it's the same, like, I like team sports for the same reason, for example. Uh, just because, like, you're, like, you can't do it all by yourself. And so you have to know when to be maybe louder in one song, but then you play a backup role in another song. And it's like knowing that. And although sometimes you're like, oh, I could totally do this. <laughs> Fuck, right? But at the same time, it's like, but those times when you can't, you have people. Like, I love a band or a team for that same reason because you have people yeah, support. Yeah, support. Yeah. It's like if you fuck up, like you have someone there who's gonna <laughs> yeah. help. Like I got your like, back. Don't worry. Yeah, exactly. Like our first show, I was so scared because like I was like, "What the fuck am I doing here?" Like <laughs> I just thought we were jamming and now we're playing at Zayfons and I have like sheet music that I can't see because it's dark. And so it's like it was really Bombs great. Yeah, yeah, it's like you're like okay, but you're not in this alone mm -hmm. and. Because otherwise it's lonely yeah. and it's not as fun. Um, so you have to, that's the trade-off. You don't get all the stardom. You're not like fucking Taylor mm -hmm. Swift, but you have support. And I think that's 
That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And I got to say, like, I think it might be a cultural thing, too, if I can bring that in. Like, I'm a Korean Canadian. And the things that Koreans really pride themselves on isn't the same sort of Western notions of individualism. Koreans really like to take pride in being part of a team and working together and producing a really great product by working together. And I think uh, even though I grew up in Canada, I have that sort of mentality ingrained in me. I like to get a lot of pleasure in working with a, a group of people and doing something together. And I don't necessarily feel that um, that my particular talent needs to be highlighted. And I don't know, like, yeah, it is my songs that are being highlighted, but I really take pleasure in, in, in being able to be in a band and we're all making this great sound together. It doesn't necessarily be, need to be me doing something crazy. Yeah, and that's what I love about having harmony. Like, I've mm -hmm. always loved harmony and being, like, the person to provide the harmony. Like, I think there's that documentary, like, 20 Feet to Stardom, oh, yeah. about great the backup yeah. singers. Yeah. I'm totally a backup singer. Like, that's always, that's just, I love being able to, like, create that sound to, like, provide that, like, where it changes that sound, yeah. where yeah. you it's, support. It's totally different. Yeah, no, and yeah. I love that. So it's I'm totally like, yeah. different and it's totally necessary. Yeah. The thing. Like, it's. Yeah, it's essential to the way that those songs mm -hmm. sound and yeah. it needs to be there. I really like having the harmony because I've, I've never been classically trained for, for vocals and I actually think I'm a terrible singer. But having the harmonies there really just makes me sound good. So it's really comforting <laughs> to have. And it's one thing that I feel like is underexplored in today's music is having creative harmonies vocally because... And this is going to be a dirty secret that a lot of people don't know about, or maybe a lot of people do. Uh, sorry, mom, if you're listening to the podcast, and I know you are, and probably not many people other us. <laughs> My uh, mom is. My mom is. <laughs> My mom might. <laughs> but it's all, it's like a lot of these people, I was watching this documentary, and it was these, uh, like, I, it was probably 2010, like a lot of popular 2010 bands went in and recorded at Abbey Road Studios, Beatles Classics the way that the Beatles would have done it. So four tracks every once you got once you maxed out four tracks, you had to bounce them all back down into the fourth track and then you had three more tracks. But the other thing no one could do it was um, doing perfect vocal takes. Mm. The Beatles did it mm. um, because they had to. You couldn't record mm. off key on a thing. And these bands were like reduced to tears. Yeah. Mm. And this is like fucking like the national yeah. Hmm. level of bands are like hmm. going into these studios and being like oh we no, can't do it. we've my, never had to think about this because it's all meld on yeah. 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 yeah it's all it's all just like put in place for us mm -hmm. with a slider mm -hmm. um I, like i mean one of my biggest influences for vocal harmonies besides the trio album i was talking about is actually the beach boys i love oh. yeah. all of the stuff that the Very beach boys harmonious. do you know I, I, I we don't necessarily sound like them but vocally like i love all the stuff that they would do mm -hmm. because they knew how to have a catchy lick but do it barbershop, barbershop quartet style and that sort of stuff, you know. And I would love to see that come back again. Or not, sorry, not barbershop quartet, but sort of like vocally creative arrangements. Yeah. If you guys like them, you should check out uh, the B sharps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would love hello, to be hello, 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 hello. I'm vocally strong enough to do it, but that'd be awesome. Baby on board. Yeah. That's awesome. We can form that shit right yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. All right, one, two. Hello. Hello. <laughs> you know, on Friday night, I got very drunk in Koreatown in Toronto with a bunch of my Korean friends, and we. So this is a very Korean story. We went to Norebang, which is the Korean style karaoke where you get your own private room 
And man, we were so drunk. And afterwards, we were standing on Bloor Street and we we're like, guys, let's just start singing. Uh, like, we just started doing like a barbershop quartet style stuff, which sounded really great in our heads. I'm sure that the passerby is like, these drunk Koreans need to stop. But what was it like? Do you know that? In the still of the night, hold me, darling. So we were like, chew up. It was awesome. It was awesome. I would like there to be more spontaneous breaking into song in real life with that sort of style of stuff. I had to stop going to karaoke once I realized that when I'm drunk, all I request is kiss from a rose. That's what I want to hear. But I can't sing at all. Oh my god! And so I get out there. It's just—it's terrible. It's absolutely the worst. You and I, I, I had a pretty good. Korean, uh... I always try to do Korean rap, which is horrible because oh. usually I'm drunk and I can't read Korean fast enough to do it. But I always try it. But luckily, it's mostly with my non-Korean friends, so they can't tell that I'm faking it the whole time. One thing that we ask everybody who comes on this podcast, and it's just—it's a real great way to just sort of figure out quickly are these people real artists that we should be exalting their values and uh, raising them up on as many pedestals as we can or should they be people who should be shunned forever and <laughs> no i feel pressure no um, yeah. study for this <laughs> um should have listened <laughs> yeah seriously yeah didn't do my yeah. homework um, yeah and it is uh which genesis frontman has influenced you more Peter Gabriel or Phil Collins, both of them <laughs> equally successful in their own ways that they led Genesis, each of them taking their own separate careers, each of them successful in their own ways. Which one do you feel like has influenced you more? That's and hilarious because we- I actually have an opinion on this. <laughs> I was really into prog rock when I was in high school. Uh, have about nine of Genesis albums on vinyl, which I have not listened to in the last decade uh, because my partner hates Genesis. <laughs> you know, I know, I know. When it, <laughs> marriage is not always perfect. Uh, but that was always the big debate, right? Phil Collins versus Peter Gabriel. And I've always been a Peter Gabriel fan, but I can't always explain why. Something to do with the fact that all the Phil Collins albums seem to be a close-up of his face uh, and every time you go to Goodwill or one of those like you know dollar discount bins that you flip through you always find several Phil Collins albums all of his face and you never see that with Peter Gabriel but let's to be completely honest honest I had a music teacher in grade eight that was really into Peter Gabriel and not Phil Collins so he got me at an early age I can't really vocalize otherwise why I like Peter Gabriel more than Phil Collins necessarily fair enough <laughs> But I fail the test and die. <laughs> Do you have an opinion on who you like more, Phil, Phil Collins or Peter Gabriel? No, I think you're pretty much right because Phil Collins did Tarzan. That's <laughs> Oh yeah, oh yeah. It always comes and back to this. Done. Yeah, my high done. school band had to. We no one has ever brought that up yeah, on this podcast true. in a negative light before. Oh, yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah. And that is great. That is great because that is exactly <laughs> this how this interview it is be over. Done. <laughs> Actually, no, because I was I'm in a concert band in high school playing the clarinet, and we had to do that Tarzan song. And we were like, "This is a terrible song. How could Peter Gabriel do this?" Oh, it wasn't. It was Phil Collins. Oh, yeah, because he did a bunch. Yeah. No, it wasn't. If he had done one song. Yeah. Sorry, I'm no. not even talking into this but like if he had done one song for the Tarzan album and been like okay but he did like several he did all of them because they had yes we scored the whole thing yeah yeah okay uh, yes because they had success with uh, Sting doing uh, what's the, the not the King and I the one where the prince turns into a llama oh yeah the Empress New Groove uh, yeah yes. Elton John and Lion, Lion King, King. Lion King yeah, yeah. 
And Phil Collins. And then Tarzan. Phil Collins and Tarzan. But I don't know if I didn't like the Tarzan song because of Phil Collins or the other way around. <laughs> it was too much. There was like, the music video was the gorilla. Like, oh, it was just too much. Like, Elton John. You know what? Lion King all the way. I'm, I'm fine with that. But for some reason, the Tarzan one, just not okay. No. You know? <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, I mean, with the, the Lion King soundtrack, you listen to it, and it is Elton John, but it's also... Mm-hmm. Elton John has always just sort of done... He's he's the arranger for another person who writes yeah. lyrics for him. Yeah. He sort of sits down on a piano and figures out how to do that. And that's how the Lion King soundtrack comes off, is mm-hmm. it's really delicately arranged. Mm-hmm. With Tarzan, it's just <sighs> like In the Air Tonight Part 2. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's the same thing Phil Collins has done his entire life. It's just this time, it's Tarzan telling Jane, you, be in my heart. Yes, you, be in my heart. I mean, to be fair, I was younger when Lion King came out and at a much more impressionable age, so maybe I would have liked Phil Collins and Tarzan more if I was at that age when I came out. True. Or okay. maybe not. I mean, you can't get it. Lion- you guys are classically trained. We would have had the, 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 the sheet music put exactly. out and you guys could have analyzed it and just be like, no, exactly. no objectively. Peter Gabriel. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been our first Phil Collins versus Elton John, which is never going to come up again. Who's trying to analyze those two? Amazing. Amazing. Well, you had, you know, Christian Aguilera did the Mulan one, too. That was the oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. That was awesome. Uh, one of my favorite things that Tumblr has ever done, just yeah. as like a community, has broken down sort of uh, the whole journey of um, who's the... So there's Mulan, and then there's yeah. the guy that Mulan is they're mutually into each other yeah, yeah, yeah. but then that guy starts getting into Mulan yeah when Mulan is just yeah and yeah. just like he's he's uh his sort of um journey into realizing that he's bisexual all because of Mulan <laughs> it's such a such an interesting thing and like yeah. more nuanced than Mulan ever I I would say they were just trying to make a cheap joke but they play yeah. it so well that's, that's, in the film that's actually a common theme in a lot of Korean dramas actually oh, yeah. uh, actually when did, when did so when did Milan come out that was early 2000s you think eh? yeah okay so so uh, one one pivotal Korean drama that came out in maybe 2007 2008 was Coffee Prince and it was all about a woman who for whatever circumstantial reason has to pretend to be a guy while she's working at a coffee shop and her boss falls in love with her but you know thinks she's he's a guy so now he's got all these conflicted feelings and that was really pivotal because Korea is very conservative about issues of homosexuality and stuff and that was the first time Korea started to have a discussion about it and it, you know in the end it was okay because she's actually a girl but like that's actually a very common thing like so after that the sex of the, uh, sorry six six success of that particular tv show there was a whole bunch of copy cats that came after of you know circumstances require this girl to dress up as a guy and then they fall in love and then people have to confront you know their sexuality it's kind of funny that it that's just the way that korean dramas have sort of played out underlying social issues but uh. that's kind of nuts because i watch and this obviously mm-hmm. won't rival uh what you're saying but uh i watch rupaul's drag oh, race yeah, yeah, and kimchi mm-hmm. uh he just that's got into the, queen on there. yeah he got into the final three but he hasn't told his family yeah that um yeah. he and like rupaul comes into the you know the room is RuPaul always comes in in like a very flamboyant suit and then just like a hat that is like nine sizes too big for him. <laughs> yeah. It's 
But RuPaul can pull it off because it's just RuPaul and he looks fantastic yeah. no matter what he's trying to pull yeah. off. Uh, but just uh, Kim Chi's story unfolding about how yeah. it, it's not something that is done in Korea. Like you don't yeah. you don't do drag or in Korean culture. They're still coming around with the whole idea of the idea that homosexuality might not be a terrible thing. It's it's still very yeah. conservative in that way. I mean, it's starting to come around now, but it's still very yeah, yeah no. <laughs> I would, I, I would say that a lot of uh, Korean culture coming around to the idea of homosexuality is all due to uh, Peter Gabriel's first four stole, solo <laughs> album. So uh, I think you guys are all... This all ties uh, yeah, together yeah. in the end. <laughs> um, anyways, um, what do you guys have to plug? Let's... Uh, uh, so we start. When will this podcast come out? In the next week Thursday. or month? Okay, okay, or sure. Friday, Shit. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. good then, because um, we're gonna be. <laughs> you can swear into the microphone. They said okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. you go ahead. Oh uh, yeah, we're playing a show at Babylon on June fifth as part of the whole Sabbath series, which you know is okay, mostly cool. a dance party. Yeah, but yeah. I guess they're having some some bands play as well. So we'll be doing that. So people should definitely come out to that, and also come see us at Blues Fest. It'll be really fun. Absolutely awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm fucking freaking out, man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm already deciding what I want to put on my rider. I, I'm very specifically going to ask for a blanket burrito. <laughs> yeah, look, I want a blanket burrito in my trailer. Everybody's going out. I've got my own cozy spot in a blanket burrito.